Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 4972. Now, here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. So good to have you on the podcast with us today. Jack and I are sitting here ready to share a whole bunch of great information along with Alice, Alan, Matt, and the team. Got the whole team all assembled here. Really excited to have you here. Again, this is Monday, June 6th, 2022. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. This week's Hot Topics segment, we've got John Wankowitz with us. He's Global Head Product Marketing for Universal Banking at Sinastra. He's going to be talking about one of my favorite topics. In fact, this is a topic that came in as a result of a request from one of our clients. And I'm hearing a clicking in the background. Lord knows where that comes in. How all this works, listeners, is just nothing less than tri- amazing. But we're going to be talking about transformation and what it means and the right vision. It means many things. So creating the right vision is a key. And transformation means change. And one of our listeners, Bobby Nicely over at Alcova Mortgage, said, hey, man, I'd love to hear you guys talk about how people are handling change. It's so good. So anyway, bottom line is we're thrilled to have you here with us, and you're going to want to stay tuned to the Hot Topics segment. And again, if you're listening on a downloaded basis, that's going to be the next podcast we air right after this one. We break, we do live, so if you dial in live, you get the joy of listening to all of us. And if um, not, then you are getting on the two podcasts. So listen to the next one, which is the Hot Topics segment, which we'll be doing live here at the, after the mortgage update. So, hey, some real quick information. I want to say a big thank you to um, uh, Jungo, who, who put out the latest article. We're great, so grateful for Jungo. They published um, three of the podcasts that we do, one of which we did feature for Astron, is on the Lickin' Lending podcast. They feature the top 13 podcasts that every loan officer should listen to. So shout out to Jungo and for what they did. We're grateful for adding us to the list and making us one of the top 13 podcasts to listen to in the industry. Very, very grateful. And then also what we did there, we featured the Brian Montgomery interview, which was really good. Brian, former head of HUD, I mean, FHA. And we also featured Troy Anderson of uh, Finastra. Great, just an interview there, along with the Warrior Brewer. So the benefits of business finance, uh, business intelligence software. So lots and lots and lots of good information out there. You can check out those in the links in our on our news page or on our website, we have links to uh, the Jungo uh, and a list of all the podcasts that they're promoting. So we want to say a special thank you to our sponsors. We have Finastra, of course, who is our hot topic at guest today. Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution is the market-leading point-of-sale and origination platform, along with FormFree. Brett Chandler did a great job. He's, been, he's got so much great content. We get so much feedback on his content that he provides us. Because it's so innovative, some of the things they're doing over at Form Free, you've got to check out the website, go to our sponsorship page, along with the Lender Toolkit. Brent Brumley and our friend Brent Emler are there. They do such a great job. Hoping to get them back on the podcast, sharing some of the things that are going on with them 
very exciting as well as SnapDocs. To ha- they help lenders overcome the obstacles of adopting the e-mortgage technology. It is a challenge. It's been, e-mortgage adoption has been one of those things that have been really a challenge. And they have this new product called e-mortgage quick start program. Check it out. We had Bri- Brianna Ings on on March 28th. Go back and listen to that. As well as Total Expert. <clears throat> we got the Total Expert Accelerate 22 conference coming up in June 12th through the 15th. I will be there, be speaking at it. We're going to be talking about an important topic there, uh, which I'll be doing with uh, Josh. And uh, we did the podcast here uh, with Josh. And so we're going to have, I'll be on with him speaking on a panel discussion, or it's actually he and I doing it together during one of the breakouts. So be sure to check out the Total Expert Accelerate 22 conference in nashville tennessee hope to see you there and as well as simple nexus they do a great job of helping you in so many different ways go listen to the interview we did with matt i'm excuse me andrea lightfoot on may 23rd also the mortgage bankers association of america lenders one as well as mortgage collaborative success kit knowledge coop mobility mmi as well as modex the mortgage advisory tools they do a good job as well as dw consulting debbie weimus weimus excuse me does a great job weems there we go. Sorry, Debbie. Um, does a great job of helping you get your LinkedIn profile right. And a special thank you goes out to Adam with the NBA, who is working with us. We're going to hear his segment in just a minute, as well as Les Parker, Matt Graham, <laughs> marvelous Matt, talking about what the heck's going on with the markets, as well as Alice Alvey. And uh, very excited to have her and Alan and Jack participating in this podcast. But let's get over to the NBA Mortgage Minute with Adam and see what's going on. From the MBA's perspective, what they, what's the news they have? Adam? Hi, I'm Adam DeSanctis. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, MBA and the Housing Policy Council responded to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's proposed 40-year modification. While supportive of HUD's proposal to add the 40-year modification to FHA's Loss Mitigation Toolkit, MBA has recommended keeping the 30-year modification as a core component of loss mitigation. Allowing a modification of up to 480 months will provide an additional opportunity to help consumers facing long-term hardships while also addressing the unique challenges of future adverse market conditions. MBA will continue to work with FHA and Ginny May to ensure secondary market certainty for extended term modifications. Now that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Adam. Uh, Everyone misses Rob. Rob did such a great job, and he is doing... They got MBA is still busy right now. I'm sure they have Rob on some other more topics, and we're grateful to have the report from Adam each and every week. Thank you, MBA. If you haven't signed up for MBA's Mortgage Action Alliance app, please do so immediately. Also become a member if you're not already there. So much can happen with that Mortgage Action Alliance app. It's so important. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les, what you got? Prices leave us wageless and with a nasty scar. Got a long list of ex-leaders. Joe tells us we're insane. But we've got a blank space, POTUS. And we'll write your name. TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. Treasury Secretary Yellen said, oops, 
We were wrong about inflation being temporary. Janet Yellen's been wrong on major economic policies before. She denies contrary trends until reality hits the front page of the Washington Post. Now she's set up Russia to default on its dollar-denominated debts. Inflation hurt 64% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck. When people hurt, they love new leaders. Got a long list of ex-leaders. Joe tells us we're insane. But we've got a blank space, POTUS. And we'll write new names. These views are my own. Know what lies ahead at tmspotlight.com. Good job, Les Parker. The intersection of economics and politics has begun. Where I mean, oh man, I listened. I've listened to Janet Yellen. Some of the things and some of their interaction with um, our current president is quite amazing. But you know, anyway, we could go on and on about that. Try to avoid politics, but sometimes when they intersect as they seem to be right now, it's hard to avoid it. Les Parker, did you do a great job? Check out Les Parker's TM Spotlight newsletter. He does a great job. You can subscribe for free to the paid version by putting the word power in there, which stands for power seller. So great job, Les and Gary Cantrabone. They team up for that segment each and every week. Now for the reality. That's my drum roll in the background there. Sloppy job. But anyway, Matt Graham's here with us, founder and CEO of MBS Live. Bring us the news we don't want to hear today, but we need to hear. And he does a great job with his excellent website, mbslive.net. No, don't .com it, .net it. So there we are. Matt Graham, how are you, friend? Yeah, don't you dare .com it, Dave. Don't I'm you pretty good. .com it. Doggone it. Don't .com it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, news you don't want to hear. If you want, we can do fake news, and I can say rates yeah. are even lower than they were last week, and everything is great. Yeah, you can fake uh, um, But that, that would indeed be fake news, as, as you know. Mm-hmm. So give us a real so, um, What is going on? Yeah, Monday, the May 9th, May 9th highs. Was it a May 9th? May 9th. Yeah, we had the highs back then. I put up on the screen where we hit a high of, what was that, 2.87? And... Um, Looks like we could be teching close to testing those highs. Do you think that's going to happen this week? I know you don't prognosticate. Um, well, I think that's going to depend a lot on uh, CPI on Friday, maybe the ECB announcement on Thursday to some extent. And, uh, you know, whether we do or we don't, um, we'll talk about what I think the general trend is here in a second. Um, but let's get caught up really quickly with last week. First off, on the data front, a couple interesting things going on. Uh, we had uh, Case Schiller and FHFA home prices both come in still scorching in terms of uh, year-over-year price appreciation. Case Schiller, I think, set a new record, 21.2% year-over-year, FHFA 19%. Uh, the big caveat to these numbers is the fact that this refers to March uh, home sales, and if it was sold in March, then it was probably – negotiated in uh, January or February, depending on, you know, how quickly it closed. But uh, the point being is that we can safely say that the 20% price increases year over year will ebb shortly um, based on, you know, what's being reported on the purchase side of the market. Uh, Chicago PMI consumer confidence, both surprised the upside. This was a theme throughout the week uh, for several reports, which were slightly stronger than expected. And that sort of surprised the market. Uh, It didn't necessarily surprise 
economists in every uh, scenario, but I think market participants were expecting to see a little bit more impact from uh, inflation and rising rates uh, start to take a toll on the economy, that sort of thing, and uh, it's not taking as much of a toll as they thought. Um, One thing that I thought was interesting was the fact that the market is starting to react to economic data that it didn't really react to um, for most of the past year and change. Inflation has been the driving narrative and things like uh, employment-related data, especially things like ADB employment, haven't really made a dent. But then on Wednesday morning, we actually did see a little positive reaction to a lower-than-expected ADP number. And uh, then we saw uh, a negative reaction to a higher-than-expected ISM manufacturing number. And that was really, um, I think, the centerpiece of the week in terms of of market data moving the – well, not market data – in terms of economic data moving the bond market. And uh, it was – it, it was so overt that it uh, forces us to ask what's going on with that. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, it, it goes back to something we were talking about two weeks ago, which is that bonds can only gain so much ground in an environment where we're waiting to see what's going on with inflation. And, yeah, we happen to gain a little bit more ground after we talked uh, two weeks ago. But then, indeed, that 2.72 technical level in treasuries acted as a floor, and uh, we're settling into what we thought would be a volatile sideways range. Fingers crossed it's sideways. I mean, we have to see how high yields go. Um, and so while we're in that sideways range, or what we hope will be a sideways range, we have these fine-tuning adjustments that will account for the volatility inside that range. Uh, it's the inflation trends that will shape the big-picture trend for rates, and, of course, the Fed's policy response. Um, but the economic data sort of uh, allows for that, those fine-tuning adjustments and the volatility inside that range. And I think the, the takeaway last week was that um, the economy is doing a little bit better than the average trader thought it would be, given the inputs uh, in terms of inflation and rates. Last piece of that puzzle was Friday with uh, the jobs report hasn't been a huge market mover recently. It wasn't a huge market mover on Friday, but it did move markets, and it moved markets more than I think most people would expect given yeah. the, uh, you know, the, the details of the report. It's only 390 jobs, 90,000, versus 325 forecast, and uh, unemployment rate ticked up, earnings ticked down one-tenth uh, of a percent from the forecast. And so it was, you know, it was a lackluster report apart from the payroll headlines. Nonetheless, rates jumped higher on the news and uh, really only recovered with some help from ISM non-manufacturing, another important top-shelf report, maybe not the highest shelf, but, you know, second highest. (laughs) So, Dave, the the takeaway is that there is some attention being paid to economic data that in a a more significant way than has been the case in uh, recent months. But looking ahead it's still all about inflation big cpi report coming up on friday no fed speakers this week they're in their blackout period ahead of next week's fed announcement uh you know the announcement is guaranteed to have a 50 bip rate hike we'll talk more about this next monday obviously but uh i think traders will be getting in position for that throughout the week and then potentially huge reaction to cpi any cpi report 
these days is a, a potentially huge market mover. And uh, we just want to see if that thing continues to cool down or if it's um, just starting to have second thoughts about cooling down. And that will definitely decide whether or not we stay in the sideways trend. If it is much hotter than expected, we're going to probably move up and out of that range you asked me about at the beginning. And uh, 10-year yields, you know, would be able to test 3.2 in, in that scenario. So let's hope they don't. And uh, let's hope we can escape to next week and, and confirm that this indeed is a sideways range and not just uh, a pause before continuing toward even higher rates. Very interesting. Jack, thoughts on all of this? I know you're a student studier and observer of the market. Thoughts on all this? You know, David, it, it seems like uh, we're operating in an alternative universe right now. And, and <laughs> in this alternative universe, uh, Money Center Bank Chairman CEO becomes meteorologist and, you know, rappers become economists. And, and so, you know, I'm talking about uh, Jamie Dimon last yeah. week, uh, uh, you know, came to the market, actually came uh, out at an investor conference and said, brace yourself for the economic hurricane. And, uh, you know, he, he cited a couple drivers of this, uh, the first of which he threw out that it's possible, potential, that oil could hit $150 to $175 Ooh. a barrel. Uh, but more importantly, uh, you know, he spent a lot of time talking about quantitative tightening and his concern uh, around, uh, you know, pulling money back out of the system uh, and, and how we will fare with this aggressive QT. And, and we've talked about QT on the podcast before. But, uh, you know, here you've got Jamie, you know, assuming the role of, of meteorologist. And, and then, you know, rapper Cardi B, uh, you know, questions whether or not the U.S. is in a recession over Twitter. <laughs> and, and I just thought, I'm in an alternative universe right now. And, and <laughs> this guy is so um, That's hilarious. Matt, are you chuckling up there? Up in Portland, as you listen to this, you got to be. Uh, no, I mean, well, yes, okay, yes. If if he's going to mention Cardi B, yeah, that's worth a chuckle for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jamie Diamond in the yeah. No, I think there's a lot of economists really, really concerned about where we're at and where where what's going to happen to the markets. And I was reading several articles over the weekend. Smart money's moving out of the equities right now, just quietly pulling back. So, what's that going to do? We're going to find out because Matt. Got it all over the screen. You can have it. At least the bond market stuff, it's all there. And it's uh, great information. I love what you do. Jack, I love your perspective. That is good. I love it. Alternative reality we're in. Yes, very much. Gentlemen, thank you so much for that great report. Let's get over to Alice Alvey with the uh, update, the legislative update. Alice Alvey, CMB, Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage. Alice, good to have you here with us. Thanks, Dave. Hi, everybody. Well, uh, it's interesting that Jack brought up about the Jamie Dimon comment because uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see, you know, it's an interesting that that person can ha say those statements and it can resonate with everybody and influence the market. So, uh, but we'll see what happens. So the, I think for me, it's pretty simple. Congress isn't super focused on us, which is nice. 
Uh, but Ooh. the one thing we do have out there, yeah, is the proposed rule. Uh, for, I'm sorry, it's really a joint notice of proposed rule making. So the kind of pre-discussion before there's a proposed rule uh, coming from the OCC, Federal Reserve, and FDIC. So it really covers most of our mortgage uh, banking independent banks out there. If you think of, all right, if these folks are going to have to start thinking about um, rules for CRA for the banks, are we on the list? And so as even as independent mortgage bankers, we should be paying attention to this rule yes. and get our comments in. So they're overhauling CRA. Um, you know, a lot of folks don't have any big opposition to the proposals within the CRA to include more mobile banking uh, credits. Really, a lot of it is how to give the banks more credit for the work that they're doing. Um, so comments are due by August 5th. So everybody get out there and get your voices heard. And then I think uh, from my perspective, Dave, one thing that I was uh, looking through is the couple of areas in the MBA news link that I thought were really important uh, for folks to spend a couple minutes, go back and check them out. Uh, MBA news link posted, ah, where did my notes go? Uh, they had, oh, they had on June 1st, they had the Case-Shiller Index showing that yes. appreciation was sitting up around 20% still, whereas mm -hmm. CoreLogic had reported yeah. that they thought throughout 2023 things were going to go down. Um, so basically the answer is flip a coin, and you're probably right on what's going to happen next in the in the housing market. But real interesting data that um, MBA had in their news link on June 1st. And then the other one was they had on May 27th, their chart of the week was the production revenue cost. I thought yes. this one was terrific. Um, and really looking historically on how, you know, they talked about we were tight in the first quarter, margins had shrunk, but that's common in Q1 as we all, you know, struggle with uh, your volume historically is always a little bit lower in those winter months, and then it picks back up and you get your, your lion's share of your profits uh, hopefully during the summer months. So interesting to go check that out as well. And, uh, Dave, I'm going to just close with a comment that I've pulled out lately from Albert Einstein, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. And that's where we're <laughs> at today in the industry. Boy, that's, that's <laughs> this is new one. territory. <laughs> we are. In fact, uh, you know, I'm looking I, uh, at who we have dialed in here. It looks like we don't have Alan's going to join us today. So we're going to give us a few moments to talk about things. The book that I just uh, related to that comment by um, that quote by Einstein um, I read the book this weekend from over the weekend, uh, actually last week and this over the weekend, it's a size book. It's called the American icon by Bryce Hoffman. And it's about the phenomenal, unbelievable story of Alan Mulally who, who turned around Ford. And, um, it is one of those stories that I recommend everybody listen to this podcast and anyone you could influence get that book because what Alan Faced. He had come out of his successful career at Boeing, turned around the aircraft manufacturer. Many said, what is an aircraft guy in the car business? It's a little bit different. I mean, a whole lot different. But how he approached it was so, excuse the word, playing on the word, iconic. It was so iconic because it was Alan Mulally's style. And what he did to take Ford through that period, very difficult period, the housing crisis, all the economic data, bad, horrible numbers, circumstances all over the place, and how he did that, how Ford was the only company to not take bailout money and then go mm -hmm. through what was 
so many ridiculous. I mean, you lived up there in those days, Alice. I was thinking, oh, I can't wait for the podcast. I got to get Alice's perspective on that. Do you remember those days when you were up there in the Detroit area and all of that, the, the big turnaround? We, absolutely. It was a big deal uh, that Ford did not take bailout money. And uh, Alan Mulally and his efforts there really, uh, you know, I can't, I'm going to go have to read that book now. I've forgotten about that. So I'm, thank you for the reminder because it is a great story. Yeah, it is one of those stories, and I recommend everyone, especially in the mortgage industry, well, Dave, why, why do we want to read a book about cars, a guy turning Ford around? That's not the mortgage industry. You'd be amazed, listeners, the parallels mm-hmm. between the car industry and what Alan faced or what Ford faced, and under the leadership of Alan Mulally, it was extraordinary. So, Alice, I just wanted to put that out there. Um, you're just, I mean, your old hometown up there, your old area. I'll never forget, Alice, remember when you took me through and we were up there driving through. You said, you want to see part of Detroit as we were, wherever we were going? She, I said, love to. And she says, yeah. And then we took a wrong turn. You go, we need to run some lights here because we don't want to be staying in this area. I'll never forget that. It was just unreal. Detroit has gone through so much. And so look at what Quicken has done in that market. You look at UWM is doing in the market to bring so much attention to the mortgage industry. Hope that, that we wish them all continued success. But go get that book, everybody, American Icon. It's a must read. And the parallels to what the mortgage industry is going through right now and what they went through uh, at Ford is quite honestly, there's many, many parallels. It's about leadership and what is your guiding principles by which you operate. Can't. You will not go wrong. You will. Everyone who's read that book has written me and said, that is just the best book. So applicable. Alice, thanks for your comments on that. Well, we're not, we, unfortunately, we don't have Alan. We're missing Alan. Alan, Alan, where are you? You guys remember the, 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 the uh, that famous little video clip. Everyone says, Alan, Alan, the guys, the, oh, anyway, not going to go on that. Anyway, Jack, any comments before we wrap up this segment and then get into the hot topic segment? Any words of wisdom, my friend? Uh, where's Alan? <laughs> Alan, where's Alan? What I need him. By the way, we, where we, if we were uh, shedding, we're, we are, apologize, listeners, we're trying to find out which line is dialed in that's got the clicking going on, that annoying clicking. It's the content we know, and you'll endure the case. Okay, so we're trying to do it. Uh, Nikki's trying to do it, but we seem to have isolated around Jack Nunnery's phone number. Jack, so, so sorry about that. But that's where we, we we mute you out, and it's clicking stops, and we have you in, and it's uh, and it's uh, it's all right. So anyway, we appreciate you, listeners, putting up with uh, clicking. And Jack, you know, he's retired. He lives down on the coast. He goes fishing in the middle of the day. He'll probably get his fishing boat, go out fishing here after this podcast, and then gives a report. He sends me, texts me pictures. From the boat. Look what I caught today. How's work going for you? Anyway, appreciate you, Jack. You are so much fun, and I truly value you being co-host on this podcast. Well, folks, that wraps well, up it, the Dave, first David, podcast. it's just fun to torture you from time to time. So. <laughs> you do it so well. Well, yeah, keep it up. I love it. Live vicariously through all my retired friends. All right. Let's uh, wrap this up. This ends the weekly mortgage updates. We're thrilled. You can listen to all of the various segments, each one of the, each one of the topics we covered today, each one of the segments we covered. You can listen to it. And we're talking about a new format, basically the same thing, but how we approach this format is going to be changing in the weeks ahead. Stay tuned. Very excited about what we have uh, coming up. It's come, it's come out of, Several listener suggestions, but I went to Jack, and Jack has really got uh, some great perspective. We're going to be bringing in some previously ignored, heretofore 
ignored uh, parts of the industry, namely production, namely servicing, some other areas. So we're going to be bringing those into the hot top or into the first half of the podcast. You go, how do you do that? You're already got a full podcast. Well, we're going to do it because you want to hear about it. And many of you, many of you have told us as much. So we're going to do that. So now let's get into the hot topic segment. That little pause right there is a puts a pause in there so Nikki can separate that out. Welcome to the hot topic segment. It is June sixth, and we're excited to have John Wankovitz here with us. He is global head product marketing for Universal Banking and Finastra, and he's going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, and that's transformation. Vision is the key. John, so good to have you here on the podcast. We're thrilled to have you joining us. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing great, great. I uh, really appreciate the time and, uh, yeah, love the topic. So uh, really looking forward to the discussion. Well, again, I want to give Bobby nicely a shout-out from Alcova because he's the one that requested this topic, and I think you've done such a great job of really answering and getting into what does transformation and change mean in this market. But before we go there, John, I, I got a chance to meet, meet you as I moderated a panel at one of the uh, ICBA a conference in San Antonio, and I met you for the first time. I gone, man, that guy's in good shape. He, I, I, Joey, you're how articulate you were on so many of the topics. So we're just really thrilled to have you here, but let our listeners get to know us, get to know you a little bit. And so tell us about yourself and your journey to where you're at today. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an interesting one. I think in the 20, in my, um, I kind of got started real young. Um, like many of us did back then finding a way to pay for university. And I was, uh, based in, I lived in Wilmington, Delaware, and I worked for the now defunct, but once great giant credit card company, NBNA America. Oh, yeah. And uh, it really, yeah, it really was from there. I spent probably the next 10 years in, in really technology startups. We didn't really call them fintechs, but essentially a number of, uh, of startups around software development, uh, managed services, uh, digital marketing, and uh, and had a pretty nice run. Um and uh, after we sold the last company, I said, you know, I come from a blue-collar uh, background. It's time to start a family. And that's mm-hmm. where I started getting um, sinking my teeth into uh, financial services, going to work for Chase at the time, which was really um, really a bunch of folks I already knew from my old MB&A days who went to First USA and started the first uh, direct bank called Wingspan, if we remember that. Yeah. So I spent, um, you know, a number of years, uh, probably about 15 in financial services, based at TD at a three and a half billion dollar community bank. All the, and then I came to Finestra at about, um, I think it was 2018, where I did a lot of work uh, post merger around the uh, portfolio strategy, and then had a chance to run the uh, our retail core business. Uh, and then just moved uh, over to, to, to start up global product marketing, um, which was a need uh, we wanted to fill here. Uh, but it's interesting. You know, I, I um, little known fact about me is that I am a closet uh, behavioral economist um, at heart. I just love everything to do with behavioral economics drives my wife crazy, I think, and uh, causes a lot of uh, rolling eyes from my 17 and a half year old daughter at home. But I also, (laughs) I also spent most 
I, I, you know, I studied music, played the drums okay. probably since I was four year old, four years old. And I tell people all the time, running a business is not very different than driving a band when you're playing in a concert. You know, you sit back there. Every night is a little different. Same set. The audience could be different. The sound system could work. It could not work. You know, the singer could decide to sing the lyrics or go off uh, on a tangent. Your job is to take all that in as the drummer and make sure we get to where we need to get to with all those <laughs> dynamics. So it's uh, it's, it's a real interesting parallel. <laughs> it is. Well, I'm glad you're here to beat the drum on transformation. Yeah. It's one of the key things that I yeah. like to focus in on, and I really appreciated our getting what we were preparing for this conversation. And so, um, Jack, by the way, I'm going to mute your line now because it is your line. It is a clicking there. So I hate to do that to you, but we'll bring you in here when it comes around to some of the questions we have coming up. So uh, we'll we'll fix that up. Apologize for the clicking in the background. Uh, again, it bothers us more than it is you, the listeners. So uh, but one of the things I wanted to go to first, John, when you look at transformation, and it can mean many things to many people. So creating the right vision, I'm going to assume, is key. So how do you create the right vision as it relates to transformation? Well, I, you know, there's a number of, of, of ways to do it. What I what I tell folks and one of my favorite quotes from Lewis Carroll is if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Um, <laughs> and you can, and oftentimes you can, you feel successful doing that, but yeah, you know, cool. the cost of the lack of direction is high. And, and what I mean by that is obviously you've got the business economics impact is missed opportunity. Um, yeah. And, uh, but the other one is the impact that it has on people within the organization. Um, again, just kind of hitting on what, what I love around behavioral economics. So, you know, when you lose, when you have a lack of clarity, people cannot connect with what their contribution is um, um, to the bigger picture. And that's, that's critical. And the way, regardless of your North Star, um, what I've seen most successful and something that I, 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 I employ all the time is, uh, you know, you certainly need the top level executive support from the top but you need to build that bottom-up plan and then you can kind of execute and adjust um and the key is if i just think about the mortgage industry right you know uh, we could say hey we're going to transform the mortgage industry but what are we transforming are we transforming the borrowing experience are we transforming the go-to-market strategy by enabling a banking as a service solution are we changing the whole distribution the fulfillment all of that we got to answer those questions That's in great. order to make sure we get the investments correct and get the alignment correct, the execution and results that we want. That's a great point. I love Lewis Carroll, the quote, <laughs> if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. It's a great quote. I think a lot of people are wondering, where are we going? Alice, over to you. Yeah, so that was fascinating. You listed off so many areas where a company may say we're transforming. So, you know, transformation, based on what you described, that, that equals change. That's a lot for a company to take on. So how can you tell if an organization is ready for this type of change? Yeah, you know, it's a great, it's a great question. And what I often see and is, is this not happening, what should happen? Do you understand your organizational's capabilities? Have you done the assessment? How far behind is your tech stack if you think you need to improve that? 
do you have the op- right operational skill set, the right, the right operational tool set in order to scale if that's the direction that you want to go? So you need to have that assessment and plan accordingly. You know, the head of well, my time at TD, um, I got to meet some, some really, really great leaders. And, and, and the head of retail um, at TD Bank, America's Most Convenient Bank, told me once, she says, do not run ahead of the organization, John. And I didn't really understand what she meant. Um, until we got a little bit further into the weeds, which was, yeah, it's great that we're going to shift uh, distribution of, of, of mortgages from uh, from the branch to online because that's where the marketplace is going. But I got to do some work over here in the operations and the fulfillment side in order to make sure we can handle that volume, maintain that the right risk pro- profile we're looking for. And then it wasn't until we got into those conversations that I really understood what she meant, right? And then I've kind of taken that lesson and said, listen, um, I also uh, love to run. Um, And for the runners out there who are amateurs like myself, you know, you have to build your own plan, whether you're business or whether you're approaching a race and, 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 and running, we like to say, run your race. Like we, we're certainly want to be competitive in the market, but you have to run your race and, uh, and really understand what that means. So uh, that's probably the best way to go about determining um, the transformational readiness is um, what are you running? Where are you going? Uh, going back to that quote. Okay, let's get over to yeah. um, Jack. Your mic is back on, and over to you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> is there a transformation divide? And, and John, it, is it a real thing? Now, it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite questions, Jack. You know, the original the original thought around that was, um, you know, we used to talk about a digital divide. And if you think about the evolution of digital over the 2000s, 2010s, um, you know, it, we would talk about it between the front office and the back office, the end users. And it really has become something that I think, in in my view, has become a mute point. It's a 15-year-old question that um, that I look at this way, and I say, can you really transform the user experience and ignore the banker, the operations experience that needs to follow on for that? A lot of times I see um, people within our organization, our clients, say, hey, if I had a dollar to invest in the user experience, I would put it towards the end user. But let me just kind of break it down, and, 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 and getting back to the question, it is a real thing because we're asking these questions. But I just went through the mortgage, uh, the mortgage experience, um, and I had a super easy UX experience with the apps. I love the fact that I could upload all of my documents through the portal. Fantastic. Um, I get a package in the mail to sign physically. I just thought to myself, and of course I'm traveling and it needs to be done within five days. And, you know, my wife's like, did what, you know, trying to coordinate all that. And of course I, I signed them, I faxed them in or I emailed them in. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, why are we not using DocuSign? So we, we need to look at the, the journey that a buyer's on and look at the back office as a, as a, as a, as something we need to change to remove friction just as much as we need to, to, to address those evolving customer experience demands. So it's a very real thing. And it was something I see a lot of financial services companies struggling with. That's great. It's a great point. You know, Jack, I, what I'm seeing some 
questions come in. One of the questions that came in, it represents actually three of our uh, listeners' uh, feedback uh, as we're listening here, is what is a transformational divide? I think a lot of people are trying to figure that thing out. They hear it, they go, cool, catchy phrase, but what is it? What is that? How would you describe? How do you recognize? Another way to say it yeah, is one other so person, way, How do you recognize a, con- a a transformational divide? Yeah, the way that I look at it, you're transforming, say, the borrower experience from the app perspective, uh-huh. and then we know all of the things that have to happen from um, underwriting to um, to uh, f- document fulfillment package or the documentation all the way to fulfillment. So we're automating the front end of that, and the back half of that is is, is 15 years behind where we need to be. So we're, yes. we're only addressing removing friction from some of the process, but not all of the process. So when you do that, then you have to really ask the question, are you transforming? Now, if I broke that down from the P&L perspective, you just look at, you know, you're increasing your top of the funnel, uh, but maybe you're not really increasing your margin, um, which is really, really critical in a, in a mortgage business from an RO, from a return on assets perspective. So you're doing partially, maybe the front end, but, but you're not giving your banker a portal. You're not giving him a, he, or, you know, her a tablet. Right. Uh, we're not allowing those, those kind of digital capabilities to extend back to the, to the bankers or the loan officers. That's a great point. Great point. Wanted to get that clarified. I'm looking at some other comments coming in. Jack, back to you. John, you know, transformational business drivers in banking, you know, are constantly changing, yet everything seems to remain the same. And, and, you know, why is that, John? You know, um, that's a great, it's a great conversation point, right? Just thinking about, you know, I have been fortunate enough um, to have been in this business for 30 years, um, and I'm I love technology. So uh, when I look at what's changed, you know, current demands, right? The user experience demands has changed. Um, digitization, stream, you know, is is, is, is streamlining the end-to-end processing. We've got robotic process automation and AI and ML changes the underwriting and the fulfillment experience. All, and we knew, you know, and 10 years earlier, there, there were other kind of key drivers out there. And then 10 to 15 years from now, there'll be other key drivers. Here. But this is what I love about the, the mortgage industry and, and, and banking as a whole. But it's still a first-time home buyer on the other end of that, or parents putting their kids through college. That hasn't changed. Um, you know, and, you know, there's still a requirement from a business perspective to get, to get the right return on that asset, right? The P&L is, is critical. So understanding um, that what's remained the same um, should be the, really what drives the strategy. When we let um, – technology push us to uh, to make changes at a pace we may not be ready for if we go back to some of, of the opening comments around uh, the transformation and change or push us down a path that we're not quite sure what road we want to go down well you you start you start to create um, um, 
the opportunity loss that I spoke of earlier and some incremental expenses. But we can't forget, you know, that, you know, the bank banking is a people business. And um, so we'll always have external drivers that are different. But what remains the same is, you know, getting it right for the customer, uh, enabling the right, um, you know, business, you know, key metrics that we're looking to drive. So um, that's that's how I, I always kind of, you know, look to talk about uh, that's up, you know, that side of it, Jack. Good perspective. Great perspective. Alice, go back to you for a question. Well, Thank you. Well, you mentioned people, and we know they're a critical part of the business. So, you know, why why is the most important part of this business, from from your perspective, people? How would you describe that? Oh, well, it just goes back to one of my favorite subjects, behavioral economics. One, I mean, if, again, if I go, I, I share this story really, real quick. I, I had the the real good fortune to work for a um, a uh, commercial real estate. Uh, bank community bank in the Philadelphia market um, called uh, First Trust Bank and uh, wonderfully run organization third generation family owned the uh, the chairman at the time um, Dan Green said to me literally this is the first day of of my of the job but he walked up and my job was to create a tr- digital and channel transformation he said don't forget this is a people business. And he went on to clarify, don't forget, it's not just that banking is a people business. The people in this organization are critically important. Uh, And that was the same sentiment we had at TD. And if you just think about um, the the nature of mortgages, right, Um, it's just completely centered around, around people. And transformation, the success of it is only going to be as um uh, good as the people that are that are able to get on um uh, and change and the ones that will you know be the most successful are the are the organizations where the the people um who are our greatest uh you know gift are driving that change and 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 when that happens you really start to see transformation move in directions that you know, you had a pretty good idea could happen, uh, but it goes beyond just the KPIs when people start driving transformation. You just start to see the culture change. And so that is what you have to focus on when you're looking to transform. Tr- bring your people along. Let them drive it. It's scary. Uh, we know it's uncomfortable, um, but embrace that unknown in many ways. Uh, be there for folks, and you, the results that people will bring um, are just tremendous. There's so many great questions coming in from our audience, and several want to pull on your behavioral economic theory or your perspective on this. So we're going to go there. So we're going to pull on that. Just go totally off script here on that. But one of the other questions that comes in is, what's the difference between transformation and, let's say, like innovation or so many other words that it can seem synonymous in there. Uh, change, transaction, transfaction, uh, all these different servant leadership. I'm seeing all these different things. What, what is the thing that really stands out in your mind, John? And uh, what trans, how does transformation differentiate from other things like innovation, which innovation can be yeah. transformation. But what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, innovation is a tool. Um, 
you know, it's just it's a it's a tool. And innovation doesn't always have to be technology, right? We talk about just the the sales process and 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 customer engagement. Uh, so I look at innovation as a tool. Could be technical. Um, could right. could be non-technical, right? Um, and, and throw digitization into that. Well, digital is great, but um, you know that's an aspect of what needs to get done. Transformation is really change because now you're looking at um, what needs to happen, not just at a technology level. Not just if you take, you know, you know, banking as a service is an example. When we see mm-hmm. our customers, uh, those who are running ahead, they're saying, hey, I'm going to use these open APIs to innovate, open up new distribution channels. I get embedded finance. I'm going to do that. But I also recognize that I have to transform my organization in order yeah. to, to sell differently, to be more operational ready. Uh, to then discover, hey, uh, or determine, okay, what, how do we actually move the ship forward? So that, to me, is, you know, trans- transformation really is much broader than than innovation um, in and of it in and of itself. Yeah, there's a, a great discussion there, and I want to get on because a lot of people wanted to pull on your behavioral economics perspective. And I just want to, for those that may not understand that, most of you do, but a behavioral economics is combining elements of economics along with psychology to better understand how and why people behave the way they do in the real world, especially as it, econo- as it applies to economics. So given where we're at today, any, I'd love to get you just to pontificate, if you would, on where we're at in the econ- from your perspective in economics and from a behavioral standpoint, how would you? Yeah, you to, you yeah, know, you know, it's interesting because if I just if I just step back and I just look at you know, um, I guess our world, the the the, the software world, right? Um, yeah. Which definitely, because of financial services, bleeds in, in into all areas of of lending and retail banking, commercial banking. I say. You know, the business of software, again, hasn't changed, right? Um, But what has changed is the incentive drivers and the definitions of what success looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, for example, what's the right digital balance? We call digital life balance, right? Um, how, you know, what's the, how is the, uh, a flat organization viewed versus a, a hierarchical organization? What are the, how is the new workforce coming in looking at that? As we shift um, out of a post-pandemic world and we look at, again, I go to that quality of life in those, cha- in, in those particular uh, incentive drivers, right? You know, um, compensation has completely uh, is is definitely it's uh, it's risen right, uh, but e- equally is is what's equally risen is um, do I own or control my own schedule and how important is that to me? Um, am I being involved in in decision making? So I think we're there's 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 just much more um, weight on non traditional incentive drivers. Mm-hmm. In order to create um, what I what I look at is a, a you know a really profitable business, um, and and so you just you're just looking at 
how people react to uh, coming into the office. It's really funny. Coming into the office two days versus yeah. three days isn't really that much. But there's that's a really difference. It. People there like is. to come in two. They don't like to come yeah. in three. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Especially when then I looked at the article that showed up over in my feed over the weekend. Is Elon Musk is saying it's mandating that you work at least 40 hours a week in yeah. – in the office. I mean, that, was, that hit the headlines in a big, big way because a lot of us are thinking, I think we're in a new reality. I think the world is really in a place yeah. where we're going to be changing. And that's kind of a form of economic, you know, um, behavioral economics. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, oh gosh, what did I, uh, uh, Freakonomics Radio, I listened, you know. Freakonomics, yes, yes. I, I listened, love listening. Yeah, I listened yeah. to that, right? And uh, that's, why, that's probably one of my favorite, like, my favorite topics. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it, it, for any of your listeners out there, it's a good supplement. Um, but let's go back to your, your, your book, uh, The American Icon. Yeah. That's all about transformation and change and leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to really, to really understand, and to tell you, the, today's topic, it was, it was a, on freaking out, it was from March, right? It was about, I was fascinated by the topic, you know, why do we create bad leaders? <laughs> and in short, it was because most in, in, in individual contributors are not good leaders. It's not what they want to do, and it's not, um, it's not what their skill set is. But our, cult, our, our, our organizational dynamics and culture is if you want to succeed, you have to rise up and you have to manage. And we're starting to see a shift of that saying, I tell people all the time, you don't, you don't have to manage um, to be highly recognized within this organization. Mm-hmm. We, we as leaders have to find uh, – and this is why I, I love behavioral economics because you can only do this by looking at um, the psychology of the individual and figure out mm-hmm. the right way to connect with them at an individual and an organizational level in order to get the most uh, out of uh, – you know, the most – Okay. In order yeah. to serve those individuals the most, and then in return, you're going to get the most um, bang, you know, the most uh, benefit for your organization. That's so good. That's what happened. Alan Malawi capitalized on that very thing right yeah. there. At, it was phenomenal turnaround. Alice, let's get over to you. I got one last question from you, and then I'll head over to Jack to wrap it up. Thank you. You know, you you really hit a nerve there in talking about a couple of things. And first of all, the the work week uh, length with. You know, uh, Gen Z really wants to tell us how they, as you know, the senior members out there, <laughs> how they want the world to be. Uh, and then at the same time, you just mentioned, you know, that psychology of at the individual level. So can you help us out here with is there any kind of group thinking for us to better manage Gen Z or is it really we've got to get down to the individual level? Any thoughts there? You know, yeah, yeah, it is. You know, I, I, I think I might have been having this conversation with my mother-in-law and my wife just, just the other weekend because I have a soon-to-be 18-year-old daughter, and uh, and um, and I don't see. I, I do. I think you got to get down to the individual. Anytime you try to, and I can, you can look back in history when you try to compartmentalize people in the groups and then make, you know, really impactful decisions or around um, uh, just more of a, of a profile. I, I think you, I think, I think you've, you've completely missed the opportunity to listen. And mm. the only way I have found to hear 
is to talk to folks on a very intimate level. And in order to be um, have that intimate conversation as a leader, and uh, I'll share your phrase with senior senior leaders in, in our in our respective industries. We have to have a level of vulnerability that recognizes that there's a world that's progressing that's foreign to us. And the best way to understand how to serve that, uh, that, 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 that groundswell, as I like to say, as I tease my daughter, is to listen. And -hmm. I think you just, you you have to recognize that, that, you know, um, you know, that each individual, uh, regardless of their stage in life is a, is, is an individual. And I think you get so much when you, when you think about it that way and you act that way. Yeah. Great point. Great, great point. Jack, let you wrap it up. You know, John, as I sat here and, and I kind of start knitting the, the blocks of, or, or the, the, the kernels of information that, you know, you've talked to our listeners about, you know, what I get is, you know, transformation, transformation is change. People are, are important, you know, to successful transformation. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how having an effective change management program can help optimize transformation in a, in a particular environment or a particular corporation? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great point. Um, yeah, I, I think it's critical. If, if you need the right, you know, um, change management program in place, because you're not just addressing the change impact to folks uh, within the organization, but you're also trying to manage scope, set clarity, um, have uh, grounding KPIs. Again, if you go back to if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there by Lewis Carroll. The other pitfall is that it's easy to um, get distracted and start running in a different direction. So without the right change management process in place to ground and recenter, and making pivots are fine, but you need to make pivots around the structure and they need to make sense and they need uh they need they need you need to be careful about not you know disrupting um not being too disruptive because uh and that's what I think a change management process does and you need to hire professionals to do that there's firms out there to do it um people like to think that they have the skill set because they have a project management background Hire, hire the right folks to go through that change management it's a process. It's a, that's a great question, Jack. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I encourage our listeners to go pull, go to the Harvard Business Review, which is hbr.org, and Google uh, the, or put in the search or look for the article, We Still Don't Know the Difference Between Change and Transformation. And it was, it's written uh, very well. It's actually an article back a number of years ago from 2015, January 15, 2015, but it really drives home with a lot of the points you're making here. John, what a delightful guest, and uh, especially with the added bonus of a behavioral economist in here, thrown in here. You're, I, now I have even more insights into why I enjoyed sitting across from you at dinner there a couple months ago down in San Antonio at the uh, Independent Community Bankers Association where Finastra presented. It was really a joy to get to know you then. It's been a delight to have you on the podcast today. Really enjoyed it. Oh, it's my pleasure, and uh, yeah, look forward look forward to, to seeing you and everyone else soon, Dave. 
I look forward to it as well, John. Thank you so much. Again, our guest has been John Wankowitz. He is Global Head and Product Marketing of for universal banking. We didn't get into universal banking. We're mortgage banking, but he really brought the great points home. I encourage you to share this podcast with others. And then with the added bonus of behavioral economic up in the insights. That's excellent. Jack, any final thoughts as we wrap up the podcast here? David, I think one of the most important things that, that I heard was around transformational divide. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot Love of that. mortgage bankers, are investing money in the client experience technology. Right. You know, but you know, if you don't approach this with a holistic view, you're still going to be producing loans at a cost of $8500 a loan. And right. you know, John spoke about return on assets, and I get it why everybody's focused on the the customer or uh, the customer experience, but it's important that we bring, you know, the back room, the manufacturing component of, of this along on the journey with us as, as we transform or else we'll still be stuck manufacturing loans at $8,500 and, you know, return on assets won't move. And, you know, one day, you know, you'll hit your, your theoretical cap in terms of how many loans you can push through the system. And, and, you know, to me, you know, that, that, that transformational divide was, was just a real important concept, you know, and and approaching this in a holistic manner. We're so grateful to have John on. We, let's, all, let's take a vote. Everyone put their hands up. They want John back. <laughs> I want to have John back for sure on several topics. we got a lot of people. Yes, 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 yes. Love for people texting in. That's great. That's been really good. Folks, really appreciate you dialing in. Next week, we've got, we're pre-recording an interview and sharing uh, with Brandon Weiss and Amy Moses of EscrowTab. We were talking a little bit of why is it that the whole digital experience moving at such a ridiculously glacial speed? Well, you know, folks, we're going to be talking to two experts on this. Brandon and Amy used to work at, um, at uh, uh, um, oh, I'm having metal over at, um, oh, gosh, I can't believe it. I'll edit that back in. Anyway, they used to work together. <laughs> at MERS, there we go. Finally got the brain cells coming together, flying in the right direction. At MERS, and that's when I first met Brandon. And, I, and she, Amy talked about being such a good friend. And she talked about how she respects Brandon as a leader. So we're going to get some great content from a leadership perspective. And we're also going to be talking about the latest technology. It's a transformation that is taking. And um, it's going to be playing on nicely to what we talked about with John today. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution, Form Free, Lender Toolkit, SnapDocs, Total Experts, Simple Nexus, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative Success Kit, Knowledge Coop, Mobility, MMI, Modex. Man, I love those two, Modex and MMI, as well as Mortgage Advisor Tools, as well as DW Consulting. And we appreciate you. Check out all our sponsors and the links on the website. Look at Unlending. We're grateful to have you here. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.